0: Uh, It's great to look in God's word, and that's what we do every week. And specifically, uh, this week, we're in kind of part two of a three part kind of mini series within this larger series of the book of Ephesians. So, Ephesians for us is taking about 10 months, but we've hit this section in the back half of Ephesians 2 and what will be the first part of Ephesians 3 next week, where we're looking at this idea of what Paul says in this passage that we are one new man, we're one new community, we're one new humanity. Uh, That's who we are in Christ. In verse 14, he says, uh, For he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. We've been talking uh, over last week and this week and next week about ethnic and racial unity in the church. And we began last week saying that there are two particular uh, dangers that we kind of want to be aware of. One is the danger that you see kind of in broader secular culture as a whole, which is the idea that people want the kingdom of God and all of its benefits, but they don't want the king. They want kindness, they want compassion, they want forgiveness, they want uh, individual rights, they want all these things that are really just byproducts of having had Christianity's influence in the West for so many years. They want all of those things still, but they don't want Jesus. What we said was that the opposite danger is potentially a temptation for Christians, is that Christians can be tempted to want the king. We want Jesus. We want the spiritual stuff, but we don't think much about the kingdom. That for Christians, we can fall into this kind of dualistic approach where there's the sacred stuff, the stuff God cares about, the god things and then there's all the other stuff which god may not care that much about and that's a that dualistic approach is a way that is not in line with the scriptures the scriptures declares that all of life is about jesus and therefore we want to be people who want the king we want jesus we want to worship jesus we want to do exactly what we did in that song just a moment ago which is cry out in loud voices holy, 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 worthy, worthy, worthy. There's no one like Jesus. We are unashamedly Jesus people. We love Jesus. We also want to be people who care deeply about Jesus' kingdom because Jesus, when he preached his gospel, look at Mark chapter 1 verse 15, he said that the time is at hand, the kingdom of God is at hand. Therefore, repent and believe the gospel. So the gospel, the good news of Jesus is good news that there is a kingdom of God breaking into history. That what we, what we think of when we think of the kingdom of God is not just that we would individually experience salvation and kind of be ejected when we die into some other worldly kingdom, but in fact, what Jesus says is that the kingdom of God is coming near to us. That's what we read in the scriptures, that the new heavens and the new earth come down and all creation is made new Under the reign and the rule of Jesus Christ. And so, what we said last week was that if you lose either the king or the kingdom, you lose the gospel. We want to be people who love the king and who anticipate and embody the reality of his kingdom. And so, specifically, what that looks like in this particular section that Paul's talking about is ethnic and racial unity. In the church. And so last week we asked the question how did Jesus create it? How did Jesus create this ethnic racial unity in the church? And we saw in verse 13, if you have your Bible there, verse 13 was kind of the summary. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We saw that the Gentiles and the Jews, the Gentiles just means non Jews, Gentiles and Jews who were both in this Ephesian church, the Gentiles had always been excluded. They'd been excluded from what it said in verse 12. They were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. They were distant, they were cut off, but that in Christ they've been brought near, and specifically verse 13, it happened by his blood. In verse 16, it says that God might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. So it's through the cross of Jesus Christ, through the blood of Jesus Christ, that he has created this one new humanity. Get this. The question has not been, how do we create it in Jesus' name? That'd be a very different question, wouldn't it? How do we create ethnic racial unity? That's not the question. The question was, how did Jesus already create it? Jesus already did this. Jesus already accomplished this. The question for us kind of as we look at this week and next week is how do we begin to live kind of underneath that? How do we embody the reality that Jesus already created? So last week, how did Jesus create it? Today we're answering this question, why does it matter? Why did this matter so much to Paul in this particular section? And why should it matter to us? We're going to start to kind of broaden out a little bit. Last week we really just looked at the Jew-Gentile dynamic that was happening in Ephesus. This week, we're gonna begin to start to apply it and say, why would this matter more broadly? Why would ethnic and racial unity now, in the 21st century, in America and in Arizona and in the Southeast Valley and in Redemption Gateway, why would that kind of ethnic unity in the church matter so much? That's what we're gonna look at today. And then next week, we're gonna look specifically at what does this mean for us here at Redemption Gateway? As the people of God here in this community, with these demographics and this reality and the makeup of who God has us right now and who God's calling us to be, what does this really mean? How does this look to live out ethnic racial unity in the church? And I no, notice that phrase, in the church. That's really what Paul's talking about. Paul is not saying that the rest of the world should have ethnic racial unity. I mean, obviously, that'd be a great thing. Obviously, that will be part of what happens when the kingdom of God comes in its fullness. But Paul's saying, no, 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 the rest of the world doesn't have access to this the way Christians do. Christians have access to this. This ethnic racial unity should be uniquely powerful in the church because it's the church that are the blood-bought people of God. So the focus of our conversation is really about the church. How do we in the church, as the people of God, as the family of God, How do we live this out? Why does this matter? That's what we're gonna look at today. So let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much for Jesus. Think about how many gaps he was willing to bridge to move toward us. He came toward us while we were still sinners. He brought us near while we were far off. While we were your enemies, he made us your friends. Lord, the, the movement of Jesus is incarnating, putting on flesh, moving toward, really loving you, Father, and loving neighbor. That's what Jesus did so well. And God, we want to be people who do that well. So God, would you help us to see this passage and to see our world with your eyes, with your heart? Could we be your representatives faithfully here in this world so that more people could experience the goodness of the kingdom and be pointed to the beauty of the king? We pray in his name. Amen. So as I said, the big question today is why does ethnic racial unity matter? in the church. And if you weren't with us last week, you really do need to kind of go back and watch or listen to last week's sermon, because what I said was this is a three-part sermon. And so if you didn't hear that last week, you're going to kind of be like, whoa I, I walked in at episode two, what happened in the pilot? Um, when the pilot, you got to go watch that. And so uh, today we're looking at this does, why does ethnic racial unity in the church matter? And I'm going to look at some reasons, some biblical reasons, some missional reasons, some congregational reasons. So some biblical reasons, why does the Bible say this matters? Some missional reasons meaning why does the mission of God, How does the mission that God has us on as his people, how does that speak into this? And then congregational reasons, which is to say, look at who we are as a congregation. We're going to try to answer this question, why does this matter? Now, here's what I want to say up front before I get to these reasons, is that most of you will already agree with these reasons, okay? I think that the majority of people in this room will hear all of these and go, well, yeah, teach me something new. That's not my job. My job is not to teach you something new. My job is to remind you of what's true, right? So you're going to hear a lot of this and go, yeah, 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 got it. Believe it. Yep, I'm in. Sure. That's great. So the question then becomes, well, why, share, why go through it if we already believe this? Well, because not everybody does agree on all these things. Not everybody will see these things in this way. But here's what I want you to see. None of the reasons that I'm going to give today have to do with partisanship, None of them have to do with, hey, we should just be more politically correct. Why does ethnic, racial unity in the church matter? So that we can be more PC. That's not one of the reasons you're going to hear today. You won't hear that it matters because, you know, some people just have a victim mentality and need a safe space, and we need to kind of create these places for safe spaces for everyone to feel bad about their identity group. You're not going to hear that. That's not important for the sake of this conversation. You're not going to hear that, well, this matters because all white people should feel guilty. You're, you're just, you're white, you're therefore bad, therefore you should care more. That's not what you're going to hear. You're not going to hear that, you know, it's really all about identity groups and identity politics and cultural Marxism and these other kind of terms that get banded about. I don't care about that. I don't even know what half of that is. But here's another reason why I want to share this, is because over the last few years especially, we've had all these moments in the culture that have like really turned the heat up on ethnic racial dynamics in our country, right? You've been living in Iraq, if you don't understand this. And this has happened a lot. There's been all the various shootings where police officers have you know, had times where they've been shooting particularly unarmed black people. You've had times when people have shot at police, right? So you have all the police tensions and all the different things that are going on with that. So there's all that. You have all of the conversations in the broader culture about black lives matter and whether that's a hashtag just talking about whether black people as individuals matter, whether it's talking about a whole movement, right? And a whole com- like organization, like that's a whole thing. You've had stuff with all of the kneeling, for the national anthem and the NFL and President Trump and more people kneeling and corporate sponsorships and Colin Kaepernick, I mean, you've had all this stuff. You have a lot of things with DACA, right? DACA has been a big issue. And what does this mean as it relates to immigration? And what does it relate as it relates to people, not just African American, you know, white black issues, but what about brown people? What about Latinos? What about Muslims? So all these things happen, right? You with me? You're all so nervous right now. I love it. What's he going to say? What's he going to say? Here's the thing. All that happens out there in the church. But our reactions to those things affect our community and our life together inside the church. Right? And so here's one of the reasons why I think we have to push into this, even though most of you will already agree with everything that I'm going to say. It's because when when those events happen out there, our reactions to those things impact our life in here. And oftentimes what happens is particularly people in the majority culture, and in our church that's mostly white people, we can act in ways that are dismissive toward what's going on out there in ways that really end up being hurtful and misunderstood by people of color and minority cultures, even within our church. And we might do things unintentionally. We wouldn't mean to do it, we wouldn't think we're doing it, but we just might, we we might do things that are dismissive and we might functionally by doing that indicate that to us ethnic racial unity in the church isn't that important. It's just secondary, or it's just political, or it's just something else. And when we do that, here's the thing. This isn't about, what did you think about kneeling? Should you, this, isn't about, this isn't about those external things. It's about our reactions to those things, and how our reactions to those things reveal that oftentimes we in the majority culture don't think that ethnic racial unity really does matter that much. And so we need to see it does matter. It matters biblically matters for the sake of our mission. It matters for the sake of the congregation that's already here, let alone the congregation that will be in the years to come. So this really does matter. Biblical reasons first. I've got two biblical reasons. The first is this, Jesus died to create a new Jew-Gentile temple called the church. Jesus died to create a new Jew-Gentile temple called the church. already talked about how Jesus died. We saw that in verse 13 and verse 16, that it was through Jesus' blood, it was through Jesus' cross that Jesus has brought together Jew and Gentile. But what we see in this particular passage today in verses 19 to 22 is what God was creating through that. So it wasn't just that he was breaking down a wall of hostility, but he was actually creating something new. It wasn't just destructing, it was constructing. Well, what was it that he was constructing? He was constructing a new Jew-Gentile temple called the church. Look at verses 19 to 22. Again, he's talking to the Gentiles in Ephesus. He says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That's an amazing verse, isn't it? You were strangers, you were aliens, you were outside, you were excluded, and now you're in. You're fellow citizens, you're members of the household of God. One of the questions that we've asked you to kind of wrestle through if you're in a small group, if you're in RC this week, is to say, what does it look like to not just kind of hear that you're accepted, but to actually experience that you're accepted? We're going to actually kind of ask you to imagine being an, an Ephesian Gentile. Say, so, okay, I'm hearing Paul say I'm included. What would it look like to feel included? What would it look like to experience being included? Because that's what Paul says is happening. Your fellow citizens, You're members of the household of God. Now, what's this household of God built on? We'll look at verse 20. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself, being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now, this is one of these places as we read the Scripture that's difficult for us in our modern context to understand, because for, for most of us, temples are only weird, right? Like. You see a Mormon temple, you go, I don't really know what goes on in there. Before one opened up, I got a chance to go view it, and that didn't make me feel like it was any less weird. I mean, it's just, it's not be, it's just, it's just foreign, right? It's not what most of us are experiencing. The only other times I've experienced temples is when I've traveled overseas, and I go visit a country where part of their religious tradition involves temples, right? Temples just to us feel weird. So the idea that Paul would say, you're being built together, you're growing into a holy temple in the Lord, we go, oh, what's that mean? Here's, here's, here's what you need to know. Temples were the place, and especially the temple, if we think about Israel and the people of, of God, temples were the place where heaven met earth. Temples were the place where God's presence dwelt on the earth. So the temple was a holy place because God was there. The temple was the place that was supposed to be like a preview of coming attractions. The the world at the beginning, and God created it, was God dwelling among his people. His people rebelled. They thrust the world into sin. And after that, God sets up a temple so that he could come and experience his presence among his people. The end of the story is the presence of God, the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven and renewing the whole earth. The temple is this place, it's this microcosm of the kingdom of God. So get this, here's what Paul's saying. Paul is saying Jesus died to create a new temple, a new place where heaven would meet earth, a new place where God's presence would dwell. But here's what's amazing, this is not a new physical place. This is not a new building. This is not a new construction project. What this is, is a new people, a new humanity. Do you see it? It's this humanity, verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus is the cornerstone, the whole structure. It's joined together. It grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And and look at what he says. He, He makes it very clear in verse 22. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You have these moments, don't you, when you experience something and and you say something like, oh, that was like a taste of heaven. Like when you go to Disneyland and you get Dole Whip, (laughs) you're like, oh, that's a taste of heaven. As I was thinking of examples, I was like, all my examples have to do with food. Right, but maybe there's a particular place you like to go. Maybe there's a particular vacation spot you have or, or, or somewhere where you, there's some woods you like to walk in and you kind of you just go there, you sit at the beach, and you just sit there and you go, ah, oh, this is like a taste of heaven. Maybe there's times when you're gathered around with friends or with family and you're laughing and you're cutting up and you're just having a great time and you think, this is like a taste of heaven. Listen, that's what the church is designed to be taste of heaven, a taste of God. This is why we say it here. We're a pink spoon people. We're the people who, you know, there's the real ice cream in the tub and you get the pink spoon as a sample. And we're the pink spoon people giving a taste of God, giving a taste of the kingdom of God to the world. This is what we're called to be. Why? Because Jesus is creating and his death created this new temple. And it's a temple not just for Jews and it's a temple not just for Gentiles. It's a temple for everyone who will call on the name of the Lord. And we are the new people of God giving a taste of what it looks like when in heaven and earth intersect. Jesus died to create that. That's why we said last week that ethnic, racial unity in the church is a gospel issue. It is connected to the gospel. Jesus died to create this. I was struck uh, a couple weeks ago, I went to a conference that I've never been to before called Together for the Gospel. It's a conference that uh, came about because a number of pastors from different theological traditions and different uh, beliefs on kind of secondary issues said, you know what, we are united around our our belief in the gospel. So they created this thing and every couple years they have a conference and it was so fun. There were like 12,000 people gathered in this arena in Louisville singing songs, hearing God's word speak. This was, you know, some of you would know some of the names of the people who kind of put this on, uh, people like John Piper and John MacArthur and Mark Dever and Kevin DeYoung and Thabiti Anyabile and uh, um, who else would be there, Al Mohler, the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, Ligon Duncan, these people that are very much part of this like long-standing, uh, strong belief in the gospel, theologically conservative, believe the word of God is the word of God people. And they have actually 18 kind of statements of belief to say, if you want to be part of this, here's what we're affirming, here's what we're denying. And and one of the statements of belief was this, we affirm that God calls his people to display his glory in the reconciliation of the nations within the church and that God's pleasure in this reconciliation is evident in the gathering of believers from every tongue and tribe and people and nation. We acknowledge that the staggering magnitude of injustice against African Americans in the name of the gospel presents a special opportunity for displaying the repentance, forgiveness, and restoration promised in the gospel. We further affirm that evangelical Christianity in America bears a unique responsibility to demonstrate this reconciliation with our African American brothers and sisters. Then they say this. We deny—this is what really got my attention— We deny that any church can accept racial prejudice, discrimination, or division without betraying the gospel. So what they're saying is if if we as a church would accept racial prejudice, discrimination, division, we're betraying the gospel. You go, gosh, where did they get that? They got it from Ephesians 2. That's where it comes from. So they made a jump in this particular statement I just read, where they kind of went from Jew-Gentile to our present-day setting. Specifically, they talked about the African-American experience. How do we begin to make this jump, right? How do we go, okay, this passage, yeah, it's talking about Jews and Gentiles, but now what about our particular setting? How do we begin to make that jump? Well, that takes us to our second biblical reason why this matters. Number two, the biblical story shows God's heart for all peoples, The biblical story shows God's heart for all people. So Ephesians 2 talks about this. Jesus is creating this new Jew-Gentile temple called the church. But if we zoom out and we look at the biblical story as a whole, what we see is a God that has a heart for all peoples, for all ethnicities, for all nations, for all races. Here's what it says in Genesis chapter 12 when God calls Abram. He says this, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So the promise given to the first Jewish father, Abraham, was a promise that all nations would be blessed through him. Psalm 67, verses 4 and 5, the psalmist Say this: Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. So the Jewish vision even was that all people from every tongue and tribe and nation would come and gather to worship God. This is what Jesus said was part of his mission in John chapter 10. Jesus told his disciples, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. In other words, my sheep are not all Jewish. I have Gentile sheep as well. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. That's the same thing Paul's saying. One new humanity, one new temple, united under the lordship of Jesus. Here's an example I love from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, here's what happened. Acts chapter 2, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Notice what the, that list, I mean, it's a long list, but you're talking Africa, Asia. Europe. Here's what's going on. These simple Galileans are so filled with the Spirit that they're able to speak languages that they've never learned. And the people from all these other places hear them speaking in their language. You know what I think is happening in in the book of Acts chapter 2? It's the reversal of the Tower of Babel. At the Tower of Babel, people said, we'll make a name for ourselves without God. We can be great without God. We'll take a kingdom but no king. God says, uh-uh, not so fast. And he scatters them by confusing their languages. And all these people groups form around different languages. And now in Acts chapter 2, as the church unites around the name of Jesus, what happens? That gets reversed. Rather than the, the languages being confused, the languages are brought together by the Spirit, and the people of God find unity as they hear the mighty works of God. The Apostle John, in his vision of Revelation, saw this. Revelation 7, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. People from every tongue and tribe and nation. Do you see this? This is God's heart. This was God's plan. This is what the biblical story tells us, is that God has a heart for all peoples. So there's some biblical reasons. We also have a missional reason, a reason why the mission that we're on is the people. I hope you know that, by the way. God didn't just save us just so we could experience the blessings of God. You know that, right? Even his promise to Abraham was, I'll bless you so that you'll be a blessing. That's one of my prayers for my kids all the time. Oh, Lord, they're so blessed. Would you help them see that they're blessed to be a blessing? And i got to pray that for me because we can think, well, I'm blessed so that I'm blessed. Hashtag blessed. <laughs> no, you're blessed to be a blessing to other people. So we're, we're called as a people to have a mission to be that preview of God's kingdom. Well, there's a missional reason why ethnic racial unity in the church matters. Here's what it is. It's the credibility of our witness. There's a watching world. And you know what? This is. There's all kinds of reasons for this that could, would create lots of tense conversation. But there's a watching world And they think they care more about ethnic racial unity than the church does. Do they? I don't know. Part of me thinks no. Part of me thinks maybe. But either way, the world shouldn't have the corner on this. This is God's story. This is God's work. This is what Jesus died to accomplish. If there's anywhere that the world ought to be able to look and say, oh, that's what it's supposed to be like, it should be the church, right? So there's a missional reason. This is every time I go to a hospital and I walk in and I see nurses outside smoking, I think, what is happening? Like, wow. And that's not uncommon. And you might be a smoker, that's fine. But if you're if you're a nurse and you know the damage that that does, I don't get it, right? And similarly, the world should look at Christians who feel like, eh, this doesn't matter, and go, what? Of course it should matter to you. You're the church. Frederick Nitschke, however you say his name, I never get it right, he said this, I might believe in the Redeemer if his followers looked more redeemed. And this is especially true for the next generation. You know, Nitsky was the son of a pastor. And there's a, there's a coming generation in particular that if we want to have any connection with them, if we want them to look at the gospel and take it seriously and go, yeah, that's something that really does matter, they need to see that ethnic racial unity matters. Our mission says, doesn't this matter? Jesus says it matters. Our mission says it matters. Here's some congregational reasons why it matters. First one is this, unity among Redemption Church as a whole. What I said earlier in the service, that we are one church of ten congregations. One of the things that I love about Redemption Church, and we don't really talk about the whole that often because I think most of us just have only so much time to care about so many things. But one of the things that's so interesting, and I would even say unique about Redemption Church, is the multiple, of, the multiple ethnicities that are represented throughout Redemption Church as a whole. See, most churches that are multi-site, meaning one church in multiple locations, most of the time, all of those locations are in very similarly demographic areas. One of the things about redemption, because each congregation is led by a lead pastor and local elders, is each congregation is, we say it like this, we want each congregation to feel like redemption would feel in that community and with those leaders. Which means if you go to our other redemption congregations, they will not mostly feel like Gateway. And you know what? They shouldn't because they're different contexts, different setting, different leaders, different people, different, different stuff. And, and so one of the things that I love about Redemption Church is that I think Redemption Church as a whole is this opportunity for us to say, yes, look at the, look at the unity, look at the eth- ethnic diversity. It's not uniformity, but it, there is unity. There's unity in diversity. We have two of our lead pastors across Redemption Church are African-American. One is... Latino and Hispanic. We have one congregation that every part of their service is English and Spanish. And so this is a thing that matters for redemption as a whole. I go every single week to a meeting with all the preachers from all the other congregations, and I sit in a very multicolored room, and I have to learn how to navigate that. I have to learn how to be a better listener and not just talk. I have to learn how to appreciate the perspectives that come from that room. It is such a beautiful thing. It's such a wonderful thing. And congregationally, our unity as Redemption Church matters that all the congregations say, yes, because of what Christ has done and because of Jesus' biblical vision, we too care that ethnic racial unity in the church, it's a big deal. Now, what does it look like? Of course, it's going to look different in Queen Creek than it looks in West Phoenix going to. That's okay. We still have to care. Here's a second congregational reason is that Gateway, our congregation, is increasingly diverse. We do surveys every year of kind of who's coming here and what are the backgrounds, and we're increasingly diverse. We're increasingly diverse as it relates to age. We're increasingly diverse as it relates to ethnicity. It may not feel like a lot, but it's increasingly diverse, and, and here's, what, here's what we have to understand, especially for those of us that are kind of in the majority. So us white people, okay? Again, this doesn't come from white guilt, but here's something that I've learned. I've learned as I've developed these friendships with people from more minority cultures. Here's the thing. When you're in the majority culture, whatever it is, whether it's ethnicity or age or interests or whatever it is, when you're in the majority, there's a group of people gathering and they all kind of are similar in some way they don't notice it. But the people who don't feel like they fit that exactly, they notice it. And here's what they have to do. They have to learn to live in multiple worlds. Right? So, so just here's, here's a ridiculous example, but it's kind of fun. So on our staff, we have a lot of our pastors really love sports. So the majority culture of our staff are sports-loving people. And we have one person, Joshua Reese, who doesn't. And he has to figure out, how do I, how do I live in this world of people who like sports? He has his world where he likes whatever he likes. I don't, <laughs> I'm just kidding. He likes music, and he loves his family, and he loves the, the you know, Big, huge family and all the different events that they have, right? But here's the thing. That's a great example. When you're in the majority culture, you don't have to think about what the other people think. If you just understood. I mean, just like sports, what's wrong with you? Right? That's how you feel. But what happens is he has to now figure out, well, maybe, do I watch some ESPN so I have something to talk about? He's got to get fluent in two worlds. Some of you who are grandparents, you know what this is like, right? There's a world that you feel comfortable with, and then there's the world that the rest of your kids and grandkids feel comfortable with, and that's not your native tongue. It involves a lot of technology and a lot of apps and a lot of stuff, and and you have to figure out, how do I live in both these worlds? Because... The world I'm comfortable with isn't the native language of most people. Do you get what I'm saying? So if you're not white, part of Gateway, you have to figure out, okay, I have, I have my family and my tradition and my culture that I just feel really comfortable in, but there's this white culture too. They don't think they're a culture, but they are. It's just they're in the majority, so they never have to think about it. I have to think about it. Does that make sense? And so here's the thing. If... If people of color think that the majority culture just doesn't care about this stuff, that, that hurts, doesn't it? Wouldn't it? And so if we're gonna be increasingly diverse, we've gotta care. This is what Jesus does in his incarnation. This is what Jesus does. He, he moves toward the thing that's foreign. He moves toward. He takes on flesh. This is what love of neighbor does is it listens and it asks questions and it moves toward. It doesn't just say, well, you should all just become more like me. It's not what Jesus did. He became like us. So congregational reasons, unity among redemption as a whole, gateways an increasingly diverse congregation. And then here's the third one, and this will hit home for a number of you. We have many foster care and adoptive families in this church. And one of the main ways that I'm seeing the diversity, ethnicity of ethnicity happen in our church is through foster care and adoption. <laughs> Many families are beautifully diverse, not just through foster care and adoption, but that's a significant way. And I don't know about you, but as, as the pastor of this church, as, as the pastor for those kids, I want those kids to feel at home. I want those kids to feel like they belong, not just like, well, we say we accept you, but we really don't, but to feel like they belong. That's a hard enough thing. If you're, if you're, a, if you're a minority child adopted into a, a white family especially, that creates lots of challenges and questions and things you've got to figure out that my kids don't have to figure out. And I really want those kids to be able to come to church and be loved and be... Cared for. And and, and I think we all would say, yeah, we love and we care for them. But one of the ways we love and care for them is by trying to think through what would it be like to be in those shoes? How do we be a people who who embodies the presence of God across all of these different things? Not imagining in some colorblind way that differences don't matter, but saying they don't matter. they don't, they're not ultimate, but But I'm going to move toward people. And and here's what I know. Here's what I know. Some of you are so frustrated right now because you're like, he's just raising questions. He's not answering any of them. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, that's life. You want life in relationship? You want life in love? You want life in the kingdom of God? It's it's tension filled. It's wrestling through stuff. But it's, it's, it's doing it together and by the Spirit. And that's where we're going to go next week is we're going to try to have more personal application about what would this look like at gateway for us to continue to embody the heart that Paul continues to talk about in this passage. Listen, here's what I want to say in closing. What I love about our church is that there are so many of you who treasure Jesus. That's why if you're not a person who treasures Jesus, you're in a great place because you're going to be around some people who are going to show you the real thing. And I think because you're a people who treasures Jesus, you treasure the things Jesus treasures. And I think many of you do treasure and value and are trying to work toward more ethnic and racial unity, and you just don't know what it means. You don't know what it looks like, and you feel stuck, and you feel confused. And you feel like, I'm just one person. How I can't fix this. How? Listen, here's all I want to say today. You love Jesus, then love what Jesus loves, which is unity among people from every tongue and tribe and nation in his church gathered to worship him. And then let's, as clunky and as difficult as it is, try to figure out what that looks like to do together. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this bold word that we are a holy temple in the Lord, a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. God, that's really actually why we're here today is because you're here. You're here among us and you're gathered with your people today because of the blood of Christ, because of your Spirit, which is poured out as a foretaste of the kingdom of God to come. And God, I pray despite all the tension and all the questions and all the difficulty that comes from trying to apply passages like this. I pray you'd give us grace. I pray you'd give us patience. I pray you would give us love and compassion toward one another. God, would we be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.